thing is the budget has to go hand in hand with the outcomes you want yeah. to achieve. And if they're not realistic, That's right. then you've got to change one of those two. Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy, and welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. The advertising agency pitch process has remained largely the same for the past 50 years. But during this time, the advertising industry has gone through huge transformation that's added a broad range of capabilities to the agency offering and a layer of complexity, making the traditional pitch process largely obsolete. But instead of calling for change, there is a groundswell of voices calling to ditch the pitch. Other organisations provide pitch guidelines that end up reinforcing that there's only one way to manage the pitch process. One of the more innovative approaches is being led by the Institute of Canadian Agencies, and today I'm sitting down with Scott Knox, the President and CEO of the ICA, to find out more. Please welcome to Manager Marketing, Scott Knox. Welcome, Scott. Glad to be here. Nice to meet you and the team. Now, um, Scott, uh, just for those listeners that are unaware, the ICA represents the advertising agencies in the Canadian market, don't they? That's right, yeah. We've been around since 1905. We're one of the oldest of the associations around the world. And uh, unlike some of the other markets, we represent all of the types of agencies in the country. So we do have uh, advertising, media, PR, uh, marketing, design, digital search, the whole gamut. Um, the agency sector is what we represent as the Canadian marketplace. And one of the things I like about um, your sort of mission, it, first of all, is that it's been, you know, you've managed to condense it into three words, which is amplify, protect and transform which you know, I, I find incredibly uh, uh, powerful. But secondly, that it's not just about looking after the agency's business, but also promoting the advertising industry for the value that it creates for society. Yeah, um, I mean, we've recently updated um, and put a, a sentence before the Amplify, Protect and Transform, which is that the ICA exists to positively impact the business environment for agencies to thrive. Um, and that means working with clients to improve relationships and how they select agencies, working with government, working with education to make sure we have future talent ready for us and to work with society. So it's about us, the ICA, being in front of the agency sector to make sure that they be the best they can, but the business environment around them is right to help them thrive and flourish. Yeah, and because that's a much broader view, and and mm-hmm. you know, in doing that, it actually helps, as you say, the whole industry flourish. Because I think sometimes people are inclined to take uh, a, a, um, advertising uh, for granted in many ways. In fact, or even position it as somehow an evil. When you hear all of these uh, people talking about banning advertising for certain categories, yeah, I think. But the the good thing is that most of the Certainly most of the countries that I've had experience of um, have amazing self-regulation in place. Mm. I mean, the ICA, together with the Canadian Organisation, the Association of Canadian Advertisers, representing the client side, a few decades ago founded Ad Standards, um, which is recognised by government here in Canada as the self-regulator for our industry. And there's a global network. There's the ASA in the the UK and so on and so forth. And so 
um, it was good to actually separate the self-regulation, the how we do things for consumers, good, bad and indifferent, and the management of that, two separate organisations, leaving us, the ICA, uh, or the IPA in the UK, the 4As in the United States, or the ACA in, in Australia, to be there to look at the business environment the agencies yeah. work in and how can we help them be better? Because ultimately, it ladders up how is marketing better. Yeah. And if agencies are better, clients are better, more products sell, better share price, etc., etc. Healthier economies, Absolutely. better lifestyles yeah. for people, better quality of life. Yeah. And that's what I mean, is making that connection. You know, people are inclined to look at advertising in the context of the ads mm-hmm. and what they're saying, rather than remembering that it's part of the overall you know, capitalist system. It's the very basis of our economies that yeah, it makes I mean, a contribution to. It, I just, it, it, it It's just that it struck me that, you know, I see a lot of uh, industry bodies around the world mm-hmm. and for the ICA to take that broader consideration for me was incredibly, you know, insightful. Yeah, I mean, it's don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, I've been 22 years running non-profit trade bodies for the agency sector, 15 in the UK, now approaching seven here in Canada, and it took a bit of a while does take you a bit of a while to work out who the hell you are and what the hell you're mm. here to do. And so there've been many iterations of positioning statements, whether it be the, my old outfit, the MAA in the UK or here at the ICA. Um, but uh, but I think what, what I really enjoyed was getting to the point of going, actually, we're not here to tell agencies about their craft capability. That's for them to yeah. do. And they're going to be better at talking about that to the world than we are. The ICA, the body's job, is to make sure that the environment allows them to be the best they can at what they do in terms of their craft and ability and consultancy. And so that, it did take a bit of a while because the often thing with positioning statements is who are you trying to speak to? Are you trying to gain more members? Talk more to the government? I mean, you end up playing this dallying game around all of it. And we just decided, look, this is what we do. And you either buy into it or you don't. Well, and and in some ways, you know, ISBAR, in the UK, mm-hmm. the, the voice of advertisers mm-hmm. is their positioning line, right? Yeah. And I think that's such a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. In some ways I see the same thing here with the ICA. It's the voice of advertising mm-hmm. as practised by advertising agencies. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about the overall no. positioning um, because, as I said in my introduction, uh, when I first heard about Pitchwatch, I thought that it was an incredibly innovative way and in many ways living up to the idea of being the voice of the advertising agencies Mm -hmm. to actually start to hold the the industry and particularly uh, clients Mm -hmm. accountable to a standard when it came to pitching because pitching is a significant part of any agency's day-to-day life, isn't it? It is. And... Running Pitchwatch here in Canada has been an interesting journey because, of course, when we launched it, which was, I think, my second month in the country, um, uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of murmuring. Uh, and even when I went to some events, direct challenges to what I was doing. And I think the interesting thing about Pitchwatch was that people uh, saw it and made assumptions about what it was. What is it actually here to challenge? And in the first instance, people thought I was here to just kick at clients. 
um, which was which was an in- and and that was said to my face by various people, and of course agencies who were then agency leaders who were either side of me when that statement was being made would suddenly go a bit quiet and think, oh my god, and step one step, step back, one side, yeah. Or, or actually, there is one agency leader here in Canada who did say, yes, yeah, Scott, that's a bit much, oh. but then called me afterwards to say, no, keep going. Um, so, but you know, clients have got uh, agencies have got clients to remember. Mm. The, the thing is. The fundamental truism behind Pitch Watch for me is we intervene in a pitch process, an agency review, an agency search to get a better outcome from the process. Mm -hmm. It isn't to have a kick at the client. And in fact, if you look at the, the number of reviews we've intervened on, which is approaching 200 now in the past six years, the bit that people seem to remember is when we've called those clients out publicly there's only been eight of that near 200. And that's because the client did get to the point of going, yeah, I'm not, I don't recognize you, not changing a thing, we're going. If the client starts to make progressive steps to amend the review, we back off and allow the agencies to make a better commercial decision. Mm. So yeah, the the premise was, oh, you you Brit come over here to Canada to shout at our our Canadian clients. (laughs) When actually, no, I've actually, my objective is to get a better result for them. Yeah. Which in the not back effect is a better result for the agency. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, I mean, improving the pitch process mm. has to be you know the driver Absolutely. for anyone anyone that cares about the industry yeah. because it's so fundamental. I I often worry because you know there's when I see, you know, as a pitch consultant, I'll see clients and and procurement particularly looking at the fee, you know, and it could be. A million dollars, it could be several million dollars, depending on the size and the investment of the client. And yet I say, well, let's just look at the broader picture, which is what's the overall investment by this company for marketing? Because the fee is often only a very small percentage of their total investment. And then what? let's look at the overall revenue Mm -hmm. of the business, because that's ultimately what you're hoping to impact by getting yeah. your marketing right. But and so that becomes a very small part of the overall picture. Yeah. The, the thing is that we, we live in an economic time where the focus on the monthly spreadsheet or the quarterly spreadsheet is wherever design line yeah. is. It's what procurement are driven to look at. Quarterly so, reporting. Yeah. And the Shareholder is value. <laughs> that, that, that that's the wrong conversation. Because if you're going to look at quality, quarterly analysis, that's going to push you into short-termist behaviour, which ultimately is most impacted by cost-cutting. Yeah. If you were to take a zoomed-out, longer-term view on what's happening in terms of your marketing effectiveness, and that's, that can be down to an individual brand on how that is, what, what that is determined as, um, whether it's share price, whether it's sales, whatever they want it to be. But if you look at a longer-term view, your quarterly spreadsheet analysis will often play against that. Mm. And so when procurement look at those lines of how much an agency costs, I just say, shut up, wrong job. Start looking at what the outcomes you want to generate on the basis of that mm. marketing investment. And if that's not where their eye line is, then they're going to make mistakes and drive down the effectiveness and ultimately the quality of their brand, which will ultimately hit share price. Mm. Well, yeah, and it's one of the reasons we introduced this idea of benchmarking, but we'll get on to that later. Um, Just for those that don't know, I I, I see on the website, PitchWatch is the ICA's confidential service that enables agencies to report both negative and positive experiences with client 
client pictures throughout a client relationship and throughout the client relationship. Yeah. And I saw that you've introduced some traffic lights, which I think That's is great. Right. You know, the idea of red light means that there's something fundamentally wrong and we should stop and reconsider this. Mm-hmm. Amber is caution and, and green is it's it's all good. Yeah, because we have to celebrate. I mean, to be quite honest, I think in the six years here, we've only had two positive review processes ever brought to mind, right? reported to us. And, and that's not helpful because we want to shine a light on those clients who do it well and ultimately track and see what the marketing effectiveness outcomes of that great relationship starting point become. And, um, and so we introduced the traffic light system in order to say we want to evaluate, we want to shine and showcase all mm. three um, well, carrot and stick, isn't it? You know, you only get people to change if you're acknowledging good behaviour yeah. and also, you know... But ultimately see the outcomes of that good behaviour. Yeah. You know, we need to be able to, as an industry, look at if you start a relationship with your agency in this way, what eventually happens to the marketing effectiveness. If you remunerate your agency in this way, what ultimately happens to the marketing effectiveness? And that is the only answer to that situation. And and, and marketing effectiveness has to be the indicator of whether it's right or successful. It's not because we're poor woe is agencies. People have assumed that what I want to do is get out there and say, oh, don't treat us like this. You know, go back no, to Dickensian in England yeah. and please, sir, can I have some more? That is not what this is about. This is about the clients getting more. Yeah. This is about share price going up, sales going up and innovation occurring for the brand in the eyes of their consumer. And so, um, you know, the, the idea of just looking at the dollar signs on the input costs is going to deliver you absolutely no insight into what the outcomes and the values you're generating in that marketing spend. None whatsoever. And a lot of that goes back to the marketers are often being, um, their budgets are set as a cost of the business. And then what they're trying to do is make that cost go as far as possible Mm -hmm. by squeezing each of the elements on a cost basis. Mm -hmm. The trouble is that when it comes to actually the strategic and creative idea that's going to be driving their um, their business and and the results squeezing yeah. that can have catastrophic effects effects compared to looking for efficiencies and productivity in other areas, right? Yeah, there's I mean, look, there, there's nothing wrong with efficiencies, um, but I do, and I've always had an issue with productivity. Right, productivity is a mugs game analysis. This idea that economies and companies and businesses all assess how productive their people are. Some of our best thoughts come from being in the shower or on the toilet, right? So less vulgar analogy, but in essence, it is not how much you can... We are not production lines, although some clients treat their agencies as that, and some agencies have set up models to respond to being production lines of things going out the door. But if what you're looking at is for success, marketing effectiveness driving sales if you're looking for that innovation to happen productivity is going to kill that yeah because you need to have great minds have the space to create and deliver and you need to give them the environment to do that in if you say you've got to do it you've got to do it 20 times you've got to do it in the next 10 minutes you, you wouldn't even ask your children to behave like that so yeah. why do we no, do no, that from a business okay. perspective I, I think i may have a different version of productivity Okay. You're, you're talking about time and motion studies. Yes. As, okay. I'm talking about how do we eliminate waste? 
Oh, okay. Within, okay. within pro yeah, because one of the things that we use productivity for is to actually identify how the client's processes and behavior mm -hmm. are actually driving the agency. And agencies are, are very good adaption organizations. They mm -hmm. adapt to the inefficiencies of the client mm -hmm. and often make up for them. And so we use productivity as a way of identifying where that's occurring because in some ways consuming more agency resources, just coping with the inefficient, inherent inefficiencies. Yeah, and look, of the, the, you know, we, we both know that for the years that we've been in the business that inefficiencies in that sense is really key. I mean, for example, the client making assumptions that they can do a really crappy brief yes. because ultimately they'll get a chance to amend it 48 times. Well, whose interest is that? Whose best interest in terms of efficiency is that to happen? That's why I set up Get the business. Get your brief right, right up at the front. Yeah. Then there'll be two amends, job done, out the door, everybody's happy. Yeah. But that's not how we work. And yeah. clients will often say, this is what we're giving you, and, and we want that out the door. But the journey to getting there may be arduous and like a bloody roller coaster. And that's not effective. And actually, that's not good marketing. No. That is not good business sense. That is not good business pragmatics. And so, yeah, I'm with you on certain elements of yeah. efficiencies and productivity, but the idea of time. Oh, yeah. Time and motion studies. Yeah. Because I, you know, I, I was a copy. Sheets in agencies. I yeah. mean, they are just the death of oh, creativity. No. I was, uh, I was uh, a research scientist before I became a copywriter and ended up creative director. One of the reasons for creating Trinity P3 was sitting there as a creative director and my analytical science mind going, why are we going around and around in circles on this until we've run out of either time or money mm -hmm. to make a decision? And, you know, in some cases we've seen, you know, and it wasn't until we were able to demonstrate the fact that in one case an automotive client was making their agencies typically go through 27 iterations of creative work. Mm -hmm. And then we are able to put a dollar value on that to show them how changing their behaviour could have a huge impact on the yeah. way they work. Trinity P3. The pitch watch, I think, for me, was terrific because it was a very high profile and, and some would say potentially controversial mm. because it hasn't been done in mm. many markets to draw attention to the issue around how to be better mm -hmm. and the benefits of pitching the right way. But then you went on to do the next, what I'd call innovation, is that you didn't then sit down as the ICA and write out, here's how to run a pitch. You actually came up with some principles or, or guidance, which you call the qualification-based selection yeah. process. Yeah, so that, that, that was, so two things converged there. The interesting thing about running Pitch Watch is I was intervening in reviews and then trying to point clients in direction of doing it in a better way and finding actually most of the review process guides out there in the world are rubbish. Yes. And, <laughs> and I found that very irritating. Um, and, you know, and don't get me wrong on the amount of work and hours and things that everybody's put into it and all very well-meaning, but actually what it was doing was just reiterating and tweaking existing or even enhancing, as you said at the top of this, enhancing bad practice that's not in the benefits of clients or agencies and so uh, I, I hired a woman called Leah Power who's my EVP here at the ICA. Leah's background is she was a COO at Gray and DDB and, and umpteen other agencies and 
when she joined the team, I had just read an article about architecture and engineering. In the United States, in 47 states, I could have my number wrong because I'm trying to do this off memory, it is illegal to select an engineering or an architecture practice on the basis of price because of risk mm. issues. And um, I was really interested in what that meant. And we met with the, the, the bodies for architecture and engineering in the US and in Canada and decided, could this apply? Could this qualification-based selection process apply to marketing services supply? And that's where it started. And we then basically just condensed it down is there are 12 principles on this process. And if you follow these, yes, you can adapt your own current process to work around these. Um, it's not, there are, of course, in the toolkits, 150 pages long, which agency people don't like to read because they don't like to read anything more than two paragraphs. Um, but, um, you know, in there, there are grids and everything you would need in terms of tools. But ultimately, if you follow the 12 principles, you will get to selecting an agency business on the basis of their qualification to deliver what you want to deliver. And it gets us away from this dog and pony show of let's me, Tanard, the jazz has moments, jazz hands moments of putting up poly boards and PowerPoint presentations. I'm showing my age now when I say poly boards and pitches. <laughs> no. but, but, you know, putting up those jazz hand moments to go, look, here's a sparkly, shiny thing we think you should do. That's having spent, anyway, but at the end of the day, QBS is about going, can this business deliver what I need yep. that makes my marketing work within this budget? And that's that's the line. And the interesting thing is we've done some training with procurement departments here in Canada um, on how to apply it. And the penny drop moment is when you compare QBS to how you hire your best people. When you hire your best people, you have a job spec, you have a budget, and you go out to the market, you take in CVs, resumes, and then you will whittle that down, and then you'll ask people in for an interview, and the last thing you do is price. Why is it the last thing you do? It's because you may get somebody who sort of sits in the budget that actually, actually they're a bit junior with a bit more training, and we could do that within the budget, we could create a rising star. Or by chance, you get some absolute lightning blazer who applies for your, and you know you've got an extra X of $10,000 on the table, mm -hmm. and you go, but that's going to be instrumentally challenging our bit. That's going to be, actually, let's do it. Let's make more budget. You should do the same with your agency, which is leave the price to the element to the last. Have a budget, and the agency's got to respond to the budget. But when you get to seeing that point where you go, you're qualified, okay, and we could go in that direction, or we could go, okay, I'm, I'm interested in aiming higher, so we could put more money on the table, or we could put mess, less money on the table, whatever you decide to do. But the minute make price a determinant factor yeah. in an agency search, innovation goes to the floor because the client's looking at how many hours, as is the agency, and the client's trying to work out how many fewer hours, and the agency's trying to work out how many more hours. At which point, where has innovation fallen? In yeah. the cracks. And, and it, it becomes even worse because then you get into this game on the agency side of, well, I can't afford to put my senior, more experienced people, so I need to find ways of putting more junior people in there. You know, and, and the client's not getting what they really perhaps want or need. Yeah. 
because they've created this artificial construct. Yeah. And that's where this, you know, moving away from being a sort of uh, labour-based, uh, outsourced labour-based model mm -hmm. to more a, at least a pricing model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know sometimes the, the industry has been using value model, but it's actually a pricing model yeah. where we're saying, yes, there's a cost associated with this, here's the price for it. It's yeah. the way we buy cars, for instance. You don't yeah. buy cars on the cost basis. There's a price and you, you make, as the buyer, a decision on whether that represents Consumers value to you. buy very few things on the basis That's of cost. Of cost. Yeah. Um, corporations know that. Um, and it comes down to perceived value. Yeah. We know that. The interesting Which thing is where is, we are because yeah. the link to then the true value delivered by that agency mm -hmm. is one that's outside the ability of many organisations to... But that's to, the currently. big thing that has to absolutely yeah, change. absolutely. So we need marketing and we need financing behind the marketing department to understand what works and what doesn't. Yeah. To look at when you invest this in the following ways, what does it deliver? Yeah. And unless you know that before you go to a review, you're just looking at jazz house movements. That's all you're doing and costing a huge amount of money and stress to all and sundry to look through speculative ideas and everything because you want to be surprised and delighted. Go to the bloody theatre or a cinema if that's what you want. Don't waste your time doing it in the review process. Because I think one of the other problems is many marketers never become expert in running pitches because it's not something that happens every day mm -hmm. for a marketer. Mm -hmm. You know, they may, you know, if, if you uh, buy the... But they should be an expert of what they want. Yes, but not the process yeah, But not the process of no, how to get and, there. And, and that's fine. And that can be where procurement has a, has a role to play and, and organisations like your own have a role to play to guide that. But unless the marketer is coming with a, what I oh, want to have as my outcome, yeah. the conversation with you or procurement is irrelevant. Yeah. We, we spend more time, you know, people ask how long does the pitch process. I say, we'll, t we'll spend two or three weeks before we even consider mm -hmm. looking at agencies, just getting clients to clearly define what success would look like. What's mm -hmm. a successful outcome? What, and you mean a client shouldn't just run over you because they're bored? <laughs> or that it's the end of a contract. Trinity P3. If you don't mind, I just want to quickly uh, read through those, those. What guidelines are they? Because I think the, the guidelines for the... Um, the QBS. Oh, they mean the principles. The principles, sorry. Yeah. Uh, disclose the budget. Yeah. Absolutely agree. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and the thing is, I do understand, you know, my sister's ex-public sector, um, and she tells me that there's a very much a belief in the public sector that what you do is you talk about what you want to achieve and then expect a supplier to come and tell you what that might cost. Um, that's fine if you're buying tyres, pens or beans. Yeah, yeah. But this is not a commodity. Well, it's how long, how long is a piece of string? Yeah. Because yeah. um, I can give you the multi So if you disclose yeah. the budget, what you immediately do is you take out those agencies who won't work for that budget. Yeah. And that's right. You don't want them tendering and then go, yeah, why did I get this? And we even say to clients that are even more sensitive around giving a price, look, at least give a range, you know, like half a million to 700,000. But the only reason not to do that is often because or the reason some clients don't do that is actually because they haven't worked it out themselves yes right so if you haven't worked out yourself don't go to market 
And the irony is out. it'll be last year plus ever the CPI or... or yeah, whether... and if that's what it is, that's what it is, yeah. disclose it. Yeah. So that the, the out... But, but the thing is, the budget has to go hand in hand with the outcomes you want yeah. to achieve. And if they're not realistic... That's right. Then you've got to change one of those two. Yeah, price compliance is mandatory, but not evaluated. Yes, which is an interesting one for some people to get their head around. What we're saying is, here is the budget. These are the prices within that. And we will debate that at the end. The process of QBS is to find the agency or, say, three agencies that are qualified to deliver what you want them to deliver. Once you've done that, then you negotiate with the top agency at the end. You do price last. Because it's important the minute you put price as an evaluated criteria on a review, innovation will drop to the floor because everybody will focus on the dollar's sense. That's all they'll do. So if you move that to the end, it means that it's an important factor. It is absolutely compliant. You will, as part of this review process, negotiate a budget and the dollar sign at the end of it, but you won't do that to select the agency you want to do that with. You want them to be qualified and capable and can meet your needs within the budget you're suggesting. Yeah. And then at the end of it, you negotiate with them. Yeah. Once you've selected who is the best possible partner. Yeah. Don't put price into the evaluated criteria because it will kill you getting the right solution. And then the next one is define the decision criteria, which I think is really important. Yeah. But a lot of procurement people seem to struggle with it. And I say to them, but... The agency needs to know where to play to. Yeah, and your decision criteria can be what you want. Yeah. If you want an agency to behave like this, be structured like this, have this point of view, you say it. Mm. That way the agency knows what it's got to speak to and what are your management structure are looking towards. If you define that clearly, they know what they're talking to and that gets you closer to a partnership as opposed to a supplier relationship. A supplier relationship is arm's length and you just want these things to come off a line. If you want a partnership, it's because you've got to meld with us. And if you have a decision criteria that you're going to evaluate and the the agency can respond to that, you've already started a pathway to a partnership. Yeah. I I noticed down further there's one that says limit uh, proposal pages, which I love. We we introduced that a long time ago. We then had to... um, provide guidance on the point size because <laughs> because we ended up with uh, the cl- uh, the agency wanting to get as much information. We were getting down to six point and having to get a oh, magnifying. See, interesting, that's where it goes hand in hand with don't share proprietary questions. Right. So if you have a very tight briefing, yeah. whether you're working with an agency or whether this is part of the search process, you keep it short and you tie yeah. and you say what you want then what you do is you change how... Now, there's, a, there's a really odd thing that procurement have brought into our industry, which is that every question answered asked by every agency, the answers to which will be shared with everybody. We are not in church. It's not a hallelujah moment. You don't have to give to all. In fact, what you'll do is if you shut down sharing the questions, 
you will start to, at that point, understand the mental capabilities of the agencies to ask you questions, to interrogate the document you've given them yeah. and your perspectives, and the conversation will begin. The questions that are asked by the agency are incredibly revealing to their, stri their strategic thinking. And, and we explain be challenging that. to the client's thinking. Yeah. yeah. And broaden the client's thinking and challenge where they're going in this 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 review process because that's what they, they will expect from the relationship in situ yeah. once they've selected the agency. So we, we um, encourage procurement to separate questions into process questions mm -hmm. and then non-process questions yeah. because there's nothing, you know, you're commoditizing the market by sharing those non-process, those strategic questions that re are revealing someone's approach to, to yes, responding course. to this. Yeah. Because it's, you know, and, and particularly government, because they have such uh, rules around compliance and accountability. But that's because public sector funding comes with fear. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> there's votes good, good, good answer. Um, the last, and, and look, I, I would encourage people to download uh, this report from the website. Mm -hmm. You said it's 150 pages. Yeah. The, yeah. the principles part is shorter. Yeah. The principles part is on the website. Yeah. But the actual full guide is 150 pages long. But the, the one debrief and feedback mm. I find is one that is really confronting for marketers. You know, it's almost like um, marketing attracts people that are people, people as, as a generalisation mm. and they don't want to say anything to anyone that they fear will upset them. Oh, get over it. <laughs> I mean, look, take the Simon Cowell way of being the world. Sometimes people need to hear the truth because the truth will make them better. And, and if you are invested in the agencies who've just spent all this time, money and resources pitching for your business, then do them the respect to feed them back, good, bad and indifferent, so that you know the next time you meet them, the next time they meet a client, they will be better. If all you're bothered about is yourself, you shouldn't have been in this game in the first place. Well, I had a pitch recently and, and at the end of it, there was two agencies that were unsuccessful and one that was. And I had a very senior, very experienced CMO, global global um, experience and I said right so we've prepared here's all of the feedback for each of the agencies and it's all uh, constructive criticism of ways that they could have been better and yes yes I'm on board we get onto the call and, and oh, look you're really good you, you came a oh, close second yeah oh, and and yeah and it went on for about 10 15 minutes we had a 30 minute call and I had to jump in and say Yes, yes, all of that. But let's specifically get down to the five or six, you know, and, and I, I went through each one. Yeah. Afterwards, the agency phoned me up and said, oh, thank God you did that because mm. it was heading nowhere. I think marketers in their desire to be liked, mm -hmm. right, or not to offend, yeah. end up doing more harm than do. good. We should be in business not to be liked but be to be respected. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's... A simple equation. We're not in, in elementary or primary school where everybody gets a badge for sitting on the carpet. Um, you need to point out how people can be better. And yeah. that's the investment that every client should absolutely as a minimum give. Yeah. And that's where the debrief. And honestly, they say, oh, you came a close second. Funny that. All 85 agencies came a close second. What are you talking about? It's also uh, like winning the nonsense. silver medal at the Olympics. No one well, will remember. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes a silver or bronze is, is fine, better than nothing. don't tell everybody. Don't suddenly, you know, you get to the podium, you there's got one silver. with a gold, and the entire rest of the stadium has silver. That's what clients do yeah, right yeah, now, yeah. and it's, it's really irrelevant. And actually, it's really disrespectful. Yeah, no, absolutely.
Because, you know, you should be treating people as professional business people. You should be treating people Not children. that you want to be better. Yeah. You should be investing them. If we use, investing we you. use radical candour. Okay. Which is being, you know, very direct, but it has to come from a, the place of wanting the person to be better. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, this is the not about, you know, people talk about brutal honesty. Brutal honesty comes from a place of I want to hurt and upset you. Mm. That's why it's called brutal honesty. Yeah. But radical candor is that you know it's all, it's not about what you say. It's mm-hmm. where it comes from brutal and your honesty intent. is about the person delivering it. Yeah. Radical candor is about the person receiving it. That's that's a great distinction. Really good distinction. Trinity P3. Apart from the principles, which I thought were fantastic, you also put forward in this report that Leah, so Leah was the main driver of of this project, Um, some terrific myth-busting perspectives. And and the first one is around speculative creative. How can I know they can do the job unless I get them to do the job, which, you know, has been discussed at infinitum. My biggest concern about spec creative because I've seen it happen, is where people fall in love with an idea mm-hmm. that may never, ever be reproduced. You know, I think... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you, you've got I to define like what a, you're buying. Are yeah. you buying a long-term relationship that's going to be productive over a number of years mm-hmm. or are you buying a one-off campaign? Yeah, but also you've got clients who will... We want to revolutionise our brand and we want to go in a different... We're about innovation and enterprise and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you see all the wording on the brief. Yeah. And then when you see the campaign that comes out the other side, you go, well, no, but that's about three seconds away from what you did before. Yeah. So you have, and if you want to stay the same, stay the, the same. same. Yeah. Be unapologetic for that. But the misnomer about speculative work is, is really, to me, speculative work is time consuming in multiple ways. Yeah. The time to do it, the time to review it, and so it becomes irrelevant. It's about looking at pretty pictures. Yeah. Or a media, as we're seeing it increasingly more, we want we want a strategy, a media strategy or a creative strategy. If I actually do a media plan, if I can do 20 media plans, look, at the end of the day, the agency's not going to know you enough unless they're your incumbent yeah. to respond to that properly. So they're coming up with ideas in a vacuum. Yeah. But equally... What if what you want to see is their creative chops or their planning chops or whatever they're capable of doing, then ask you them to present the case studies of work they've already delivered on, but unpack what was the process that actually delivered that successful work. And one of the things I very, very rarely heard in a pitch presentation, where did it go wrong and how did you overcome that? Yeah. Right. So you want to know they can be a consultancy and be able to do not present shiny gold pieces, but actually deliver work that works for you. And so the speculative thing is cost ineffective and the cost to the agency sector is astronomical. And ultimately, that's got to go somewhere. Back to clients. Mm. Right. So take the spec out. And take me through a business-framed case study. What was the objective? How did you get to the insight? What is unique about you as an agency that delivered that amazing work? Okay, thank you. So you could take me along that direction. 
The other thing about spec work is it really hampers innovation mm. because spec work often means do a thing, give me a piece that speaks to me. Well, hang on a minute, but shouldn't you learn from other sectors? Isn't there a case study from the agency where they can talk you through, I'm a CPG brand, I'm a, I'm a brand that sits in a supermarket shelf, but actually the case study I'm really interested in is that one you did for that financial institution where yeah. you took innovation and did something different. Spec will give you what they think you want to hear. A case study presentation being broke down yeah. will speak to innovation and how the challenge of process and how the agency works and how their thinking can benefit you. So spec is giving you absolutely nothing but a whole load of wasted time. Well, because ultimately in a spec pitch, the agency is putting forward what they think will win Yes. Not the best solution. Not the best I remember back at the MAA in the UK, we actually did a, a, a survey of the industry and worked out that less than nine, uh, less than ten percent of ideas presented through pitches oh. saw light of day. I'd be surprised it's that high. Yeah, and it's it, but but and that tells you what wasted time is. Yeah. So go to what what the, the point is. It's not about what can the agency do. It is how do you get there. Yeah. And how do you get over problems? That's right. It is not about a ta-da moment. It's about what was the journey and why are you uniquely placed to replicate that for me. The only two questions a client should ask during the agency selection process, not talk about the price determined at the end, is one, show me the case studies that mm -hmm. speak to what I need and show me your processes why your agency is uniquely placed to replicate that success again for me. Yeah. That is it. And then myth two goes straight to pricing because it's about the use of benchmarking. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big bugbears that we personally have, because, yes, we use benchmarking, but the one, the thing that we find is that the benchmarkers that create an average and it's only one benchmark. Yeah. And then it's implemented on you have to conform to it or not. Mm -hmm. Whereas we use benchmarking at multiple layers. Mm -hmm and use it for clients to make decisions around value. Because mm -hmm. if we've got a high benchmark, a medium and a low, and an agency is above the high, does the agency represent that value? See, I, I, I don't think benchmarks should be used at all. Um, I think that if a client sets out what it wants to achieve with the budget it's got, then it's for the agency to say how they can deliver that under that budget. Yeah. At which point you're focused on the outcomes. Benchmarking is about input costs. The outputs. Outcomes and outputs. Yeah, the outputs, because the outcomes will only happen after it's gone into yeah. the market. But yeah. if you're focused on, I want to achieve this with this sales group, this is my brief. Yeah, yeah. I need from a business challenge this to be done. Yeah. A new agency can do that under that budget. Let's go. But instead, benchmarks are focused entirely on inputs. It's why we're fixated on hourly timesheets. Okay, so the other the area that I see that approach is potentially flawed is where the marketers will change their requirements of the agency. Oh, but that's where the price has got to go back to the, the, the scope. Right, okay. If you have yeah. not so, sorted so, the scope, so, yeah. then you... And if you or if you've the sorted scope, the scope... You've got scope to renegotiate. And, yeah, yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. 
you know, the, or have a pricing model which allows you to negotiate absolutely. those prices up front. Or yeah. agencies should be when they're actually working with a client. Here are your options. Yeah. This is what you can get for the budget you've got. This is what you could achieve if you actually spent a bit more, and this is what you could achieve up there. You pick which you want. I'd love to go through the rest of these uh, myths, but we've actually run out of time, Scott. It's so been I a... talk far too much. <laughs> it has been said. <laughs> well, look, it's, it's, but it's been a, a terrific conversation, a very engaging conversation. Um, and, and what I particularly like is the passion in your approach, that clearly that you have a vested interest and a passionate interest in not just agencies being better and being the best they can be, but their their clients as well. Yeah, I'm interested in agencies being better, clients and marketing being better, and marketing as a profession not being seen as a commodity. Yeah. And the other thing I'm really passionate about is trade associations for our industry being better. Yeah. Being leaders and innovators, not just playing to the lowest common denominator of our industry. And that's what I've always driven here at the ICA, and I certainly drove in the UK with the MAA. And and that's the reason I wanted to have this conversation is because through both these innovations, it was clear that you're taking that approach of setting the bar higher mm-hmm. on behalf of your members so that the whole industry can step up to it. So yeah. I really, really value that. Um, one last question before go we it. go, um, and that is... Do you find that there's particular categories of clients that are lagging the rest of the market when it comes to innovation? 